Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're compiling another UPR community book list. You uh, are no doubt an avid reader. Most uh, public radio listeners are. And uh, it's great to share uh, what we're reading. You uh, may give us an idea that uh, we will really enjoy and vice versa. So we want to know what you're reading. That's the idea of the program here. Uh, We will uh, get your email, hopefully, uh, through this hour, upraccess at gmail.com. Upraccess at gmail.com. Just send us uh, your book or your list, and uh, we'll compile that, uh, put it later on on our uh, website, upr.org. So that's upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. We're going to get reading suggestions uh, for new books uh, throughout the hour from Ann Holman from King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City, Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab, and Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks in Salt Lake City. And uh, UPR friend and avid reader Elaine Thatcher is in studio with us. Thanks for coming in. Nice to be here again. Um, so uh, we're going to go shortly to Ann Holman, but uh, first, Elaine, what's the what's first book on your list? I'll tell you about my favorite one this time around. Um, My favorite was uh, Finding the Mother Tree, Discovering the Wisdom of the Forest by Suzanne Simard. Um, She is a Canadian, uh, what do you call a forester, I guess. Anyway, um, it was the most interesting book. It's kind of part memoir, part science. And it's, um, you know, people have probably heard of this uh, uh, discovery of how trees now we know trees can communicate with each other in a forest they they uh and it's all through this underground microorganism network and she is the one that discovered this and um really really fascinating book i think i heard about it in an interview on npr and it just that was my favorite this time around. It was that it's called "Finding the Mother Tree" by Suzanne Simard. That sounds fascinating. It That's, was wonderful. It does sound wonderful. Yes, um, I want to get uh, some books in from uh, Kirsten Swanson. Our own Kirsten Swanson sent her Great. book list in. Uh, first up on her list is "Words Born of Silence" by Ruth Swanner. I, I have oh. not heard of uh, that author, but uh, "Words Born of Silence," Ruth Swanner. The next one up on Kirsten's list is The Mark of the Golden Dragon by L.A. Meyer. Uh, Then, uh, this will be familiar, I think, probably to you, Elaine, The Further Adventures of the Great Brain by John D. Fitzgerald. I don't know if you ever read The Great Brain series. I haven't read it, no. Uh, I I have. It's it's just delightful. (laughs) Just delightful. John D. Fitzgerald. Um, And then the last one on Kirsten's list is The Case of the Double Bumblebee Sting by John R. Erickson. That sounds delightful. Those all sound great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Words Born of Silence, Ruth Swanner, uh, The Mark of the Golden Dragon by L.A. Meyer, Further Adventures of the Great Brain by John D. Fitzgerald, and The Case of the Double Bumblebee Sting by John R. Erickson. Thanks, Kirsten, for sending your list in. You can send your list in as well. We'd love to have it to give our, each other suggestions for great reading. Upraccess at gmail.com. Upraccess at gmail.com. I believe we have uh, Ann Holman. On the, on the line. Hi, Tom. Hi. Hi. Good to be with you Hi, again. Lane, Thanks. How are you? Good. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> well, Anne, I'm I'm uh, curious to to hear what uh, what you're excited about. Uh, give us your first uh, book. Okay, my first book is called Lessons in Chemistry. It's by Bonnie Garmus. It comes out today from Knopf. This is just what I needed at the end of this dumb pandemic that seems to never end. 
It takes place in the 50s, and the, the main character is a woman who is a scientist. She's a chemist, but it's a man's world. And she is working at a, a lab, but she's not getting any credit for it. The, the superstar of the lab is kind of a, a, a misfit. He is what you might think a scientist is like, kind of hard to talk to, kind of awkward. When these two people meet, their worlds absolutely collide. She's not interested in getting married, though. And they move in together, and they just become the biggest scandal in the whole company. And one thing leads to another. I don't want to give any of the book away. It's funny. It's sad. It's what happened to women in the 50s, and it's specifically what happened to one woman who would not take no for an answer. It reads really fast. It's about her losing her job at the company and beginning a cooking show, unlike a PBS station that we all know and love. Mm -hmm. But her cooking is based on chemistry because, as she says, cooking is chemistry. It's It's just so much fun for everybody. I would recommend it to anybody. What was that title Lessons again? Lessons in Chemistry. Lessons in Chemistry, and it's by Bonnie Garmus. It comes out today. Great. Oh, thank you. So what's next? So next is Small World. Jonathan Evison is an author that I've loved for many years, uh, and he's just gotten better and better. Small World is a story that came out a couple of months ago, and it's a, a cast of characters up and down the California coast from... California to Seattle. And as the story is unraveling, there's a train, an Amtrak train, and the driver going from Sacramento to Seattle. And as that's happening, you're learning these people's histories. And you're learning the history kind of of, of Western settlement in America. So there are Native Americans, there are Polish Jews, there are the Irish and Chinese immigrants building the railroad. And so you meet their families initially coming to our country, and then their descendants are on this train. And you know something's going to happen, but you're not exactly sure what. And so you come to know these characters so that by the end of the book, you're completely bound up in what's going to happen with this train and where it's going to end up. It's really fun, um, interesting. I, it's a, I guess I would call it historical fiction, but also just a great ripping tale. Um, and that's Jonathan Evanson, and it's called Small World because, in fact, we all do live in a small world. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, the, the name uh, rang a bell for me, and so I, I looked it back up. I believe I was able to interview him on his book, uh, West of Here. Oh, remember which, that? Which, that which was is such a, a great Which book. is a few uh, books back, yeah. So the latest one is Small yeah, World. Think, okay. This is Small World. I think West of Here might have been, well, it might have been his second, but it was his first one that kind of broke out. Remember yeah. that had such a big cast of characters? Yeah, yeah, did, yeah. <laughs> the biggest cast ever, Yeah. Um, my next book is called The Swimmers. It's by Julie Otsuka, and it's been a long time since we've had a book from her. Uh, my favorite was When the Emperor Was Divine. Uh, the Swimmers, you're not even sure where it's taking place. In fact, I've discussed this book with people, and they'll say, oh, I think that happened in Berkeley. I think it takes place in Manhattan. At any rate, it's a, it's a public swimming pool, and it's underground. And so you can envision these people going down the basement steps, getting into their swimming suits and swimming laps. And there's a protocol, who goes in what lane, who swims which direction, and nobody ever really talks to each other necessarily. They just go down and swim their laps. But there's definitely a hierarchy and definitely a little swimming society. And a crack appears in the 
in the bottom of one of the lanes, and it serves as a metaphor for these people's lives. Do they keep swimming? Do they stop swimming? Who stays? Who leaves? And in the middle of all of this is an older woman who is suffering from the beginnings of dementia. And the narrator, we come to learn, is her daughter. And so the swimming is a way to move the story forward as this woman starts to lose her memory. But swimming seems to be a comfort for her and ultimately for all the characters in the book. Julie's books are quiet and and absolutely beautiful. Um, And this one is called The Swimmers. A little bit of a pandemic book, I think, uh, but just beautiful. Yeah, that does sound sound great. I like character-driven books. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then going all the way over to New York City, uh, actually Brooklyn, um, is Olga Dies Dreaming. This is a debut from Zoshio Gonzalez, who is uh, a Puerto Rican New Yorker. And this is the story of Olga, who is one of the most successful wedding planners in Manhattan. She has worked, worked, worked. Her cousin Mabel wants a perfect wedding of her own. <laughs> She's driving Olga crazy. And Olga's brother, Prieto, is a councilman in Brooklyn, and all he wants to do is get reelected. But he has a secret, as we all do. And watching over all of this from south of the border somewhere uh, is Olga's and Prieto's mother, who, as it turns out, is a freedom fighter for Puerto Rico. Nobody has seen her mm-hmm. in over a decade. She's tough. And she's very tough on Olga. She sends her letters rebuking her for everything she's doing, including, of course, becoming a wedding planner. Who would do that when we need to be fighting for Puerto Rico's freedom? It's funny. It's sad. It's it's so um, tender about, you know, the secrets that we think we have to keep in order to move forward, and they turn out to not matter at all. So I loved this book. I wanted to read it again as soon as I, as soon as I finished it about, you know, you're working hard for something, and then it turns out that the thing you're working for may not be the thing that makes you happy after all. I really loved it. That's I like I like a book when you just hate that it ended. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then my last my last fiction is called Fencing with the King. This is by Diana Abu Jaber, and she is actually descended from Bedouins which I don't think you can say that about many authors you've ever heard of. (laughs) (laughs) The story story takes place in uh, modern times. Uh, A young woman comes over to Jordan with her father, who grew up in Jordan, and ostensibly it's to celebrate the king's 60th birthday and to stage a fencing match, because when her father was younger, he used to fence with the king for practice. He's now a carpenter in America. He doesn't really have any interest in going back to Jordan. But as the book opens, they're there, and she's fascinated by all of it. She, in her career, has been a successful poet in America and has hit a dry spot, not finding anything to write about. And she's in Jordan learning about her family. And her uncle, her father's brother, who's the other main character, may or not may not be an absolute bounder. What he is, is advisor to the king. And so you have this amazing picture of Jordan, the society, the Bedouins, the landscape, how close it is to the conflict that's happening in Israel and Palestine and the people's views of it. It's absolutely fascinating. And you just feel throughout the whole book, you just feel this dry heat of this 
society that is on the fence. I loved it. Yeah, that sounds so that's fascinating. Fencing with the King. Oh, yeah, wait, say by that Diana Abu Jabber. Say that again. Uh, fencing with the King? Fencing with the King. Uh huh. It's from Norton, and it's Diana Abu Jabber. She's really interesting. If you can ever hear her talk, she's got a lot of family history um, from that part of the world. Wow. That's kind of my favorite part of the world, so. Oh, you'll love I, it. I need you'll to read that, yeah. You'll love it. Okay, tell me when to stop. I only have one nonfiction this time. But okay, yeah, let, let's let's beautiful. let's do that one for sure. Yeah. Okay, it's in the founders' footsteps: landmarks of the American Revolution. This is a beautiful book from David Godine, a small publisher in Boston that just does absolutely beautiful books. And what they've done is they've taken places on the East Coast that were part of the American Revolution, and they're small essays. So, for example. Uh, here's one called A Dark Past, and it's a watercolor of Phillipsburg Manor in Sleepy Hollow, New York. And they paint the picture, and then they do a short essay about why it was important. And so you do have things like, you know, the Camden Battlefield site and the Swamp Fox, but then you also have these places that I've never heard of, Cliveden Manor in Germantown, Pennsylvania. This was a place where the, or the, the British actually prevailed over the Americans which, you know, you hear about Bunker Hill and the Boston Tea Party, but you don't often hear about places that the British won. Nassau Hall at Princeton University, again, where the British had a garrison, and then ultimately the tide turned. So it's a small book, but I think it's a beautiful book, maybe for a high school graduation or college even, Father's Day. It's called In the Founder's Footsteps. Landmarks of the American Revolution by Adam Van Doren, and it's literally walking you in the footsteps of the American Revolution. It's absolutely beautiful. And it sounds like something that you can read, you know, piecemeal if you don't have time to sit down and read a, a novel. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You can open it to any page. Wonderful. Well, yeah. well, very good. Uh, and I know you've uh, you've sent us your list. You have some mysteries and some picture books as well. And we'll have that up on our website. I do. Yes. <laughs> very good. I do. I do. Nice to talk to you both. Nice to talk to you. Uh, thank you. Ann Holman uh, from King's English Bookshop. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye now. Uh, let's see. We got this in from uh, Janet Miller. Uh, Janet says she's recommending the history of Pendennis, his fortunes and misfortunes, his friends and his greatest enemy. The author is William MacPeace Thackeray. And uh, Janet says this is a lesser known work by the author of Vanity Fair. What was the name in the title? Uh, so the, the it, it's a long title, The History of Pen, Pendennis, The History of Pendennis, His Fortunes and Misfortunes, His Friends and His Greatest Enemy. Okay. By William MacPeace Thackeray, who's the author of uh, Vanity Fair. So mm -hmm. Janet Miller is recommending The History of Pendennis by William MacPeace uh, uh, Thackeray. Um, so what's next on your list, Lane? Well, um, I, I, I read some really good ones this time around. Um, I'm not always a short story reader. Um, I like to just immerse myself in a novel or a, a longer book, but... Um, a book of short stories by Daniel Mason called A Registry of My Passage Upon the Earth. Stories. Um, just beautifully written. Um, and they take place in many different time periods. He has a, a 19th century bare-knuckle boxer. He has an ancient Egyptian pharaoh. Um, you know, just... Uh, but they all... Um, they are all very engaging 
and some of them are super short. Some of them are less short, but um, they all have, they reveal character and they reveal humor and, uh, and emotion. So A Registry of My Passage Upon the Earth by Daniel Mason. I really, really loved it. And that's coming from somebody who doesn't like short stories that much. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes short story can really hit the spot. You yep, yep. got to get the right author that you, that you enjoy. Well, well, great. That's excellent. What's next? Oh, okay. So um, then, um, okay, so since I've been a child, since I was a child, I have loved Greek myths. <clears throat> Excuse me. My parents gave me a book of Greek myths when I was very young, and I read it and read it and read it. And I did papers on Greek myths in junior high and high school. So... Um, Stephen Fry. We all know Stephen Fry. That's right, yeah. Um, from television and uh, from um, Jeeves and Worcester and those kinds of things. But he is also an author, and he has written a book called Mythos, The Greek Myths Reimagined. And he retells these classic myths um, in a very personable and approachable style. Sometimes the myths, you know, they get uh, written up uh, translated, and they seem quite spare or, um, you know, not not as engaging as you might hope. These, he puts, he, he, he I, I don't want to say he, he doesn't overdo it. It's not, it's not like he puts things in that aren't there. He just sort of reinterprets the myths a little bit, and they are absolutely wonderful. So it's called Mythos. Uh, the Greek Myths Reimagined by Stephen Fry. Oh, that sounds great. It yeah. was really good, yeah. Yeah. Especially if you like that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, and that's uh, Stephen Fry has done a lot of interesting work. This yes, is, he has. The, he's, the a, he's, yeah. a, he's a smart man. Let yeah. me just put it that way. Yeah. Uh, what's what's next? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay, so I finally got around to reading a classic, uh, Fahrenheit 451. Uh-huh. Um, um, by Ray Bradbury. It's a classic of, of science fiction. And, you know, I started out thinking I would listen to it on an audiobook. I, you know, I'm just not a big audiobook fan. Mm-hmm. I would prefer to hold the book in my hand and read the words. And that's what I ended up doing. I just switched to, to the written word. And um, if you haven't read this book, I mean, this takes place in a, an unnamed future America where... Um, Reading is essentially banned, and um, books are burned. If you are in possession of a book, you are in violation of the law. And um, it follows the story of a fireman, which, um, you know, in this context, it's not a guy who puts out fires. It's a guy who builds fires to burn books. Mm. And, um, you know, he he works for the state, and um, his gradual coming to understand what books are and what they can do. Hmm. Um, it's a it's a great read and it's you know it's one of those you should you should read just because it is one of the classic science fiction stories. Yeah. Um, that I've never read it so yeah you're it's... you're encouraging me now to, <laughs> to, to read it yeah <laughs> very timely as well right yeah uh, very yeah, yes very timely. Uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have uh, Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks in Salt Lake City with us. And, of course, we're hearing uh, Elaine Thatcher's list. I'll have a couple of books I'll add as well. 
we're compiling a, a UPR community book list. We'll have this posted on our website uh, after the program. And uh, just some ideas. Maybe you haven't thought of some, some, some of these books. I certainly uh, am getting some, some reading suggestions from, from this program. And uh, that will give me some hours and hours of uh, pleasurable reading. So thank you. Um, and uh, we are encouraging you to send in your list. Could be one book, could be many. Uh, to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. We'll have more following this break. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We are compiling a UPR community book list. This is what we do about quarterly, and uh, we know that uh, many public radio listeners, many UPR listeners are avid readers, so we get together and make suggestions to each other. We put this on our uh, website, upr.org. What we're asking you to do, if you would like, is to send us your list, your book list. What are you reading, or what's had an impact on you? Um, what are you rereading, to, you know, going back in, into the past, or maybe new books you're excited about? Whatever it might be, could be children's books or a young adult or whatever um, has has captured your fancy. And then suggest that to us. We'll put that up on our, our list on our website. So email us uh, to upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraxcess at gmail.com is the place to uh, email us. Upraxcess at gmail.com. And uh, later in the hour, we'll hear, hear from Andy Nettle from Back and Beyond Books. We have with us throughout the hour uh, Lane Thatcher. Right now, we bring in Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks in Salt Lake City. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning. Nice to be on. Hi. Good, good to have you on again. Well, let's, let's jump right in. What's first on your list? All right. Well, as usual, I have too much and too many words. So <laughs> jump on in and cut me off as we need, because I know we can't ever get to everything. And that's the beauty of books, is there's so much. Um, I'm going to start with uh, some novels that I've been reading recently. The first is the latest novel. It releases today from Jennifer Egan. She's the author of A Visit from the Goon Squad, and her new book is called The Candy House. Um, this is a just really interesting book that really gets delves into memory and consciousness. Um, a lot of books, of course, talk about what it is to be human, especially in these times of sliding technology and transitions and what we expect from society. This one does it through a minor character from a visit from the Goon Squad named Bix Booten. He is a brilliant tech god, the kind of guy that gets referred to by one name, right? Um, and the book opens with him looking for the next thing. He has his billions. He feels just stagnant. He needs a new project. And he encounters this group associated with Columbia University who is talking about memory and exploring what makes memories and ways to develop that. And that just makes a spark within him. He develops this, this technology called Own Your Unconscious, which allows people to basically dump their memories into these cubes that they can then keep and use with their family to explore things. Say, if you're in a good use, maybe you've got uh, some dementia issues or you want people to remember things after you're gone. In a, a larger, more frightening use, of course, it's you're downloading all your memories there, and do people really want to see what you thought about them all the time? 
never mind the fact that you could upload it to a vast network of other people's memories and see how memories intersect and interlap, overlap uh, different memories of the same instances. It um, is one of those narratives, uh, most fiction these days, most modern fiction, seems to have this interweaving narrative that comes from multiple points of view. And Jennifer Egan uses that brilliantly here as she is exploring memories that intersect from different characters and different points of view. So we've got Bix himself, we've got um, a young woman who is groomed to become a spy um, for certain governments. We've got a music industry executive. It's just a wild ride, and it's a great even though it sounds kind of heavy, it's a great deal of fun to read. Jennifer Egan is a, a, a great novelist, so it's really enjoyable. What was the title again? It's called The Candy House, and it's by Jennifer Egan. Great. Okay, next one. Um, again, Interweaving Narratives. This is uh, a book that debuted in January. It was one of the most uh, anticipated novels of the early season and unfortunately it just never got traction but it is so worthy so i would like to encourage people to um seek out a book called how high we go in the dark by sequoia nagamatsu this is frequently compared to cloud atlas and in its scope and structure that's that's not an inaccurate comparison but of course that's a that's a comparison that does nobody any favors, right? That, that sets people up for, for too much. Um, but what this is is a fascinating book. You would think it was written during the COVID crisis, but oh no, um, any book that you're reading right now, unless it's been crashed in and is nonfiction, that deals with these plagues, these worldwide diseases, they were probably written before COVID happened. And this is one of those. It um, deals with a, an earth that is racked by climate and plague crisis, and it opens with this archaeologist in 2030 who goes to Antarctica to continue the work of his recently deceased daughter. They find a body there, and that body carries a microorganism that unleashes a plague upon the world like we haven't seen in a good long time. It rapidly spreads worldwide. It profoundly changes society for Ever. Um, again, we've got these interlapping, overlapping and interweaving narratives as this narrative slides through time. So you see how it is affecting society first at the beginning and then in the middle and then in the end. And we encounter that initial scientist and his family. We encounter an actor who can't get a job acting anymore, so he works in a theme park, kind of like Disneyland for terminally ill children um, with the idea that it will give them their best last day. There's a scientist who becomes a father figure to a sentient pig who gains the capacity for human communication. And then there is the spaceship full of humans that are looking for a new home for humanity. They've had to go out and colonize something. And it is just a lovely novel. I, I can't speak highly enough of it. So worth reading. It's called How We High We Go in the Dark. Yeah, that does sound uh, wonderful. Yeah, that yeah. sounds great. Very timely, as you say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the next one is a book of stories. It actually came out. Oh boy, I don't know when it came out. Um, it's from Tin House Press, and 
it's by a young author named Kim Fu, and she is a name to watch. Watch her. Uh, her this book of short stories is called Lesser Known Monsters of the Twentieth Twenty First Century, and it just knocked my socks off. It got a lot of buzz in the fall trade shows, and I started reading an early copy of it and thought. Oh, I don't know. These first two stories are good, but this isn't what I was led to believe. And then I hit the middle of the book, and it blew me away. Um, these stories are about the monsters without in us, the monstrosity that normal human beings can house, and um, how that works with the outside world. Some of these are very futuristic, like the story of a a couple that retires with enough money to buy a machine that allows them to intersect their memories with a 3D printer in the basement. So if they die, their memories automatically download to this printer in the basement that prints a new body for them and pops their memories in it, and they're off to the races again. So basically you're immortal, which means this couple just starts killing each other. Yeah, it opens with him waiting for her body to print after he has poisoned her. She shoots him in the face. Um, it just, it, it, it's so quietly disturbing. It's not graphic in any of these descriptions, but it is really disturbing as these people navigate their, their marriage when they can easily kill themselves and each other and have no repercussions. There's a, an amazing story about June bugs as a woman rents an Airbnb somewhere on the eastern coast trying to get her feet under herself after some downturns, and the June bugs just turn into one of those horror movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you don't like bugs, it will disturb you. <laughs> and that's the kind of excellent writer she is. It's quiet language, but it is disturbing. So you could say this really flirts with horror, and sometimes it goes solidly right over into horror. Hmm. <laughs> Oh yeah, that sounds. Uh, I don't know that entertaining. That... <laughs> anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is short stories. So the nice thing is they're they're beautiful short stories. A well crafted short story, you know, gives you this this complete world for a short period of time. So it's not like you're getting sucked into a world of horror for six hundred pages. Mm. Um, it it is. Um, a deep drop into a a closed universe that lasts for a little while. <laughs> well, interesting. Lesser Very known good. monsters yeah. in the 21st century. And well, do, what was the title again? Lesser known monsters of the 21st century. All right. All right. We'll check it out. Well, we're running a little short on time. Maybe you could uh, mm -hmm. maybe give us one of your nonfiction and one of your kids. Okay. We'll have your full list up on our website. Boy, that's a tough one. I'm going to go with The Bald Eagle, The Improbable Journey of America's Bird. This is by Jack Davis. And when this book was published, I I pooed it. I, I told myself, I don't know about this. I think this is too narrow. This is not the time for this book. And he sent me an advanced copy to read. And it's really good. Um, 
the bald eagle, as we know, is this remarkable bird. It's our national symbol, but at the same time, it is reviled for being a, a scavenger, a rapacious hunter. It is um, somebody we like. It's a being a creature we like to take as a trophy. Uh, it's a creature that we nearly caused to go to extinction with hunting and DDT back in the mid-2000s. And this book weaves all of that together into this exploration of this magnificent raptor that just happens to also be our national symbol and carries a whole lot of our cultural baggage with it. Um, the prose is great. This guy is running a won a Pulitzer Prize before, um, Jack Davis. He's an excellent writer, and this is a really good book to read. Uh, Great. Very, very good. Uh, yeah, about the bald eagle, yeah. Yes, yes. And the last one I have, you called out a kid's one, so I am going to mention a song called Home by um, an author that Utah is very lucky to call its own, and that is Sarah Zarr. Um, Sarah was nominated for a National Book Award, made it to the shortlist for her very first novel. It was a young adult novel. Um, this book, she is a book for our 8- to 12-year-olds. And it is um, about a girl that... Uh, she doesn't have a lot in her family. There... Her dad's an alcoholic, her mom and her sister have a strong relationship, but everything's just not quite right. Um, And she's trying to adjust to these switching circumstances of mom leaving dad, mom getting a new boyfriend she's going to marry, and then a mysterious birthday gift arrives for her. It's just left at her front door, and it's a guitar. And so she begins to leave on a, a search that, for home, for a place for belonging, a place to be her, a place to be, uh, feel loved and appreciated and authentic, like all, all children deserve. And um, Sarah's writing is so beautiful. It is just such human and deep writing. She doesn't write down to kids. So this is also something that adults can read with their kids. Um, But it's something that kids can read because the the author takes them and their feelings seriously. It's not melodrama. It's not a dynamic, fun adventure. It is a realistic piece of fiction. And it's called A Song Called Home by Sarah Zarr. Great. That sounds wonderful. And a local author. That's, that's yes, she even is. better, yeah. Wonderful. Well, we'll have, uh, Catherine Miller, we'll have your complete list up on our website, upr.org, later today. So thank you so much for your recommendations. Oh, thank you for having me on again. It's always a pleasure. Thank Thanks. you. Catherine Weller, Weller Bookworks uh, in uh, Salt Lake City. We'll have her list uh, up. Uh, we'd love to uh, love to share your list as well. So upraccess at gmail.com. Upraccess at gmail.com is where you can share your list. Could be one book, could be many. Upraccess at uh, gmail.com. Uh, soon we'll have Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond, Beyond Books. Uh, I want to uh, share one, uh, Lane. This is in prospect. I haven't read it yet, but I'm very uh, excited to read it. I was reading an article in, in the Bulwark um, uh, website. Um, so it presented a scenario 
So the Russians invade a country. Uh, there's a big disparity in um, in morale, right? Mm-hmm. A big disparity in in firepower, right, and and in manpower, but but a big disparity on the other side in morale, and it doesn't go as the Russians hoped, and uh, the the, <laughs> the locals stand up and uh, and effectively fight to a stalemate. Ukraine, yes, but this author is saying, uh, what about the Winter War of 1939-1940, the Russo-Finland War? Um, And so this book is about that war, uh, which which had that trajectory. Um, Stalin um, had gobbled up the the Baltic states. Mm -hmm. Finland was next. Uh, He he rattled the chains of war, then invaded Finland. Um, A big disparity in in manpower and and firepower. Experts said it wouldn't take long. Uh, But the Finns um, stood up, uh, you know, had, had the morale. And uh, they uh, they had skis and the Russians didn't, for example, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they had equipment and the the Russians didn't. Uh, one simple little thing, the, the reading uh, here uh, early in the book, um, they had uh, simple little uh, stoves, not stoves really, but very very small and portable. And the Russians had these big cumbersome kitchens, which broke down immediately. So they were freezing and without hot food. That's just one little mm. little thing. And what's uh, the title of the book? The, wa- the war was fought to a stalemate. Frozen Hell is what it's called. The Russo-Finnish War, Winter War of 1939-1940. Frozen Hell. Frozen Hell. The, the author is unfortunately passed away. Anytime I get interested in a book, I want to interview the author. <laughs> That'll be difficult because he's passed away. William Trotter is the author. And this is from uh, January of 2000. So this, is, this goes back, but I'm, I appreciate that suggestion from that author, um, and I'm uh, definitely going to read this. Frozen Hell, the Russo-Finnish War, Winter War of 1939-1940 by William Trotter. Oh, yeah. Sounds like it has a lot of, lo- of current echoes. Yes, definitely. Well, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We are compiling a UPR community book list. We know that our listeners are avid readers. Probably describes you. Always perhaps looking for suggestions for a, a great read. Looking for the next great read. Well, we're helping you out, helping uh, uh, each other out as a community by compiling this UPR community book list. And we'll put this on our website later today. UPR.org is the place to go to find that list. Uh, and that will be coming up later after the program. But uh, we would love to hear your suggestion, your recommendations. Email that your list to us at upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. We have Elaine Thatcher with us, and we're joined once again by Andy Nettle from Back Beyond Books in Moab. Uh, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Elaine. Hi, Thank Andy. You. Well, uh, let's jump right in. What's first on your list? Well, you know, Tom, I, I usually am on first on this show, and now I know why after listening to, to <laughs> parts of Ann and Kat. Uh, I don't know how anyone can follow those two in terms of their depth and breadth of their reviews, but uh, we'll give it a go. Uh, I have actually three novels, which is highly unusual for me, starting off with Louise Erdrich and The Sentence. And I suspect some of your listeners are not unlike uh, myself, who picks up an author, 
enjoys their first three or four novels, and then for whatever reason, tails off on, on the author's subsequent novels or writings. And Louise was no different. I loved The Bee Queen and, and Tracks and Love Medicine. I, I just adored her character development and her voice. And then for whatever reason, I, I stopped reading her until the new novel called The Sentence. And she has absolutely nailed it. The, the, the setting is an independent bookstore in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, which is autobiographical since Louise does own uh, indie bookstore in the Twin Cities. The protagonists are two. One is a uh, kind of annoying customer who has recently passed away named Flora. And for anyone working in bookstores, we all have <laughs> our favorite annoying customers who we love to uh, see go out the door with a handful of books, though. So we love them. And then Tuki is the uh, formerly incarcerated come bookseller who is extremely well-read and just has a great personality for this particular novel. It takes place during and around COVID, and so I probably related to it even more as as we all went through the shutdown and, and the restart and the masking and, and all of the things that the bookstore in Louise Erdrich's The Sentence went through. But it is charming. It is sorrowful. It's extremely well written. The characters, you'll grow to love them. And I simply cannot recommend it more. Louise Erdrich in The Sentence. Great. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Yes. And since we're on ghost stories, and I am not a proponent of ghost stories, <laughs> I've probably only read two of them, and, and I'm recommending both of them today. I cannot help but recommend M. Dressler's Our Eyes at Night, a last ghost novel. Now, in full disclosure, uh, M. does live uh, in Castle Valley, Utah, which is just up the Colorado River. But she's been a professor in North Carolina for many, many years, and so we rarely would uh, happen to see M. But this is the third in a series of ghost novels. The protagonist in this case, one is a ghost, not unlike Louise Erdrich's protagonist, Emma Rose Finnis. She's a 100-year-old phantom. And then the other protagonist and narrator is Philip Pratt, who's the cleaner. And his profession is to clean ghosts, to get rid of ghosts. He knows that ghosts don't really want to, to inhabit the earth any more than, than they've already had to. And so it's this back-and-forth, uh, playful gesture. The first of M. Dressel's, Dressler's novels took place on the Northern California coast, the second one on the Sierra Nevada, and you see where we're going. We're coming east. So the third of her novels, Our Eyes at Night, takes place in canyon country. Although it's a fictional canyon country, instead of the ghost town of Cisco, it's the ghost town of Briscoe, <laughs> instead of... Uh, the uh, little battlefield known as Pinhook, where the Utes uh, battled some whites. It's Needle Stick. It's uh, Masters County instead of Grand County, but we get it. It's our backyard, and certainly that was one of the reasons I enjoyed this ghost story. But secondly, I think M. Dressler uh, is a really, really good writer, and she captivate, captivated myself. 
with this uh, dual narrative going back and forth, and you can just, anyone who's been down in the canyon country, you will have a sense for where these uh, these uh, seeings are taking place. And it, uh, it's just a fun novel. And uh, we interviewed M yesterday, and it sounds like there may be uh, even a fourth one uh, in the works. She isn't sure yet, but she's probably uh, going to take it even further east. So it's, it's an intriguing series. And M. Dressler is a, a wonderful, charming, uh, now professor emeriti, so I suspect we'll get to see a lot more of her in and around Moab. Great. Okay, look forward to it, yeah. Thirdly, on the novel Trio is Damnation Spring by Ash Davidson. I am always amazed at what a debut novelist can do. Uh, Ash has been working for the Grand Canyon Trust down in Flagstaff for a number of years. I understand she wrote the novel before work, during her lunch hour, after work. But she did grow up in the Northern California logging uh, country, and that's where this novel takes place. And it's, uh, without question, my favorite novel of the last 12 months. I've had the opportunity to speak with a number of my customers who have also read it, and uh, the reviews are a little bit more mixed from, from a couple of reviewers that I highly respect. But for my money, this, this novel hits all of the buttons. It's a multi-generational saga of the Gunderson family. They have been logging in Del Norte County for at least three generations. And this is the last chance, as, as most of the old-growth timber has been logged, the last chance for, for the, the younger Gunderson to get out some old growth timber. And speaking for myself, a, a very serious environmentalist, uh, timbering old growth uh, timber is not something I would be in favor of. <laughs> and yet, Ash does such a good job of, of portraying this small community, this company town that's beset with miscarriages. There's rampant herbicide use. There's a young scientist who's trying to show the community that uh, perhaps the herbicide use is tied to the miscarriages. And through all of this, I find myself rooting for the Gundersons to to cut these ancient trees down. (laughs) And it just was a very odd personal juxtaposition of my moral character. And, And if a book can do that, I think it's uh, probably extremely well done. Ash Davidson's uh, Damnation Spring. Yeah, that does sound very interesting, yeah. And finally, and and Tom, I think you just interviewed Craig Childs. His brand-new book has just uh, come into the store. It's called Tracing Time, Seasons of Rock Art on the Colorado Plateau. And I had a review copy of, of Craig's book, and... The next time I talked to him, I gave him a huge virtual hug. <laughs> I have read many books on rock art, and many of them try to interpret what rock art means. And despite very intelligent people uh, giving it their go, uh, likely we'll never really know. And what Craig does is does not do any interpreting. He simply takes us on an exploration of rock art areas, uh, but it's a meditation uh, with the elders 
of the lands in which these rock art uh, panels are found. And so he gives the voice to the elders, and I thought that was a brilliant technique of allowing uh, the, the sacred lineages to come through in whatever interpreting rock art might take place. He, Craig does not divulge locations of any of these sites, and so it's left to us to ponder and, and mysteriously dream about finding some of these sites. And, of course, tragically, so many of them are being vandalized, and it's just so, so sad that we're losing this, this cultural narrative and history and really the heart of our our existence in the plateau when, when these rock art sites are destroyed. So mm. pick up Craig Childs's Tracing Time. It's put out by Tory House, and I you will not regret it. Great. Well, that's wonderful. Well, we're at we're, the uh, end of our time uh, here. Um, any others you'll send us, Andy? I'll probably add a couple yeah. more, including okay. Jim Harris's great. massive thousand-page anthology of poetry just out. Oh, great. We'll look forward to that, and we'll, we'll put that on our website. Thank you so great. much. Andy Nettle, back of Beyond Books and Bob. Thank you so much. Thanks. You are very welcome. Have a good morning. Bye-bye. You, you too. You too. Well, Lane, uh, do you have uh, one or two more? We have a, a minute, minute well, and a half left. I can share, you know, um, I, I'm i not a big fan of sort of like uh, uh, formulaic fiction, pulp fiction, you know, sorry, mysteries, uh, that they just kind of get boring after a while. But, mm. uh, and they may, this art, this author may get boring to me, uh, after, if I read more of his books, but, um, I read, A Noise Downstairs by Linwood Barclay. Um, and it looks like he's pretty prolific. Uh, you know, he might, uh, fall into that pulp fiction kind of category, but this one, this, this, uh, first of all, it's a thriller. It's not gory. It's not horror. I don't like either of those things. Um, it's just a really good suspenseful novel and um, about a, a professor who uh, who comes upon a colleague doing some strange things. He begins to suspect this man. Um, uh, the following kind of a labyrinth of clues and uh, danger, but uh, th- it really surprised me. There were m- several surprises in this book. I, I kept guessing who was the culprit, and I would be wrong. And uh, I, I really enjoyed. It's a quick read. Enjoyed the book. It's called "A Noise Downstairs" by Linwood Barclay. Very good. Very good. Thank you. And we'll have your complete list up on yes. our, our website, Lane Thatcher. I just want to fit this in. We uh, heard uh, just lately here on, on uh, email from uh, Steve McIntyre. And uh, Steve uh, sent us a uh, link to a New York Times article, which was titled Remembrance of Bookstores Past. Oh, wow. Uh, New Yorkers still tell stories of browsing at Harlem's Liberation Bookstore or spending the afternoon at Scribner's. So we'll put that link to that article on, on our list as well. Thanks for that uh, uh, Steve McIntyre. Well, Lane Thatcher, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you. It's always fun. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. You can still get us your uh, your list uh, to upraxcess at gmail.com. And thanks, everyone, for listening today. <laughs>